Father, what a beautiful setup to know that you have everything in your line of sight. And our prayer this morning is that you really do help us to see things the way that you see them. To where we can claim hallelujah. Because when we see them how we want to see them, it puts us in a dark spot. It puts us in a frustrated spot. It puts us in a bitter spot. But when we have the mind of Christ and we have the vision of of God, we see things totally differently. And it produces love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and faithfulness. God, thank you for being so faithful. Thank you for being so good and giving us this opportunity right now to be in your presence. But help us to be reminded that we can be in your presence every day, every moment of our life. We love you, we praise you, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you so much. It is a joy to stand up here and listen to you guys sing. We're going to go back to Matthew 22, because we're not done with Matthew yet. We've still got lots of years to go. Just kidding. Hopefully we'll be done with it sometime soon, maybe. I don't know. We'll see what God wants to do, right? It's up to him. We'll probably be looking at his death about his birth time. That'll sink in probably tomorrow. Now listen, I know I've been gone a long time, but... I try to tell jokes, and they're not very funny, so you have to help me out with courtesy laughs every now and again. You forgot about that. Thank you. That's much better. That makes me feel better. So Matthew 22. Now, you guys had some great fill-ins while I was gone. Seth and Tim did a fantastic job. It is always a joy to go away, and for once in my life, I completely unplugged for a full month. It was to the point of it was hard for me to say I'm ready to go back. Like, it was that much of an unplug for me. But now that I'm back, I'm like, man, what were you thinking? It's so nice to be back. Seth hit on Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22, and did a great job of giving us a very historical um, understanding of the Herodians and why they were asking Jesus the questions he was at, they were asking, and, and really the, the battle for control and the battle for, for who Jesus was and what he was trying to accomplish. And I want to go back and address something that, not that he didn't want to address, but I kind of asked him not to. Um, but before we get into that, I don't normally correct speakers um, when, when they speak for me. I, it's very, I don't know that I've ever done it. But there was something that one of them said that I, I really do have to correct. It's been weighing on me for about three weeks now. And so if you'll just bear with me, there was something that Seth said that I need to correct. And for me to correct something that Seth says, it must be a really big doozy. But I just want to make clear, I am not a chandelier. <laughs> now, many of you may be new and you're like, wait a second, that really isn't that funny. I don't like the chandeliers here, and I got voted against to change them. So it is a joke, an ongoing joke, that when we talk about chandeliers or I am referenced in the same sentence as a chandelier, it is meant to be funny. So I really don't like them. You can love them all you want. It's not changing my opinion ever. <laughs> so I just wanted to make that clear. I don't know what he was thinking. He thought he was being funny. But I didn't find it funny. In fact, <laughs> I turned his sermon off at that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, it was great. It was a great point. And we really should be the light of the world, just maybe not that. 
But there was a phrase in Matthew chapter 15 that um, I thought was very intriguing to me that hit me kind of funny. And then it was confirmed a couple of weeks ago when a friend of mine came to me and he said, hey, I just had this thought that God gave me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm getting ready to preach on that. So it was kind of confirmation that going in the right direction. But have you ever seen an all-in representative? Now, many of you are athletic fans. You like NFL or you like NHL or you like basketball or you like soccer. But I've never in my life been around a group of fans like the Eagles. They are the most committed, all-in group of individuals I've ever been around. I've been to one game, and I will never go back. <laughs> and I, I enjoy watching them, but I'm not an all-in representative. For me, an all-in representative bleeds green. They wear everything green, no matter what The Eagles do, whether it's good or bad, they have an opinion about it, whether it's the right opinion or the wrong opinion, but they will die for their team. They are all in. You talk to them about football and everything comes back to the Eagles. You ever met somebody like that? We've got a few in here, just so you know. I'm not going to call you out. You're good. But it's not the only thing that we are all in representatives of. We're all in representatives of hopefully the place that you work. Hopefully you're not bashing it or bad-mouthing it. Hoping, uh, hopefully you support it and in, encourage people to be a part of your business because as a good employee, that's what you should do. I know I just lost a lot of you right there. You're like, you have no idea where I work. But you understand what I'm saying? If the boss found out you were trashing your business, they would fire you because they want all-in employees. In a marriage, I want to be an all-in husband, an all-in dad. If I'm found talking to somebody else in that way that I'm supposed to be talking to my wife, then I'm not all in and I should be kicked out. So if we understand that concept with sports and with our jobs and with our relationships, help me understand why we don't live that way as believers. Why can't we be all in? Now, am I asking you to be one of those Jesus freaks that just everything out of their mouth revolves around that? Not quite, but pretty close. I'm asking and thinking, if I'm going to be an all-in representative, the things that I think about need to reflect Christ. The things that I talk about, the things that come out of my mouth need to reflect the love of Christ. The things that I do, the places that I go, need to reflect the very person that I am claiming, claiming to represent. And yet, for whatever reason, we have adopted this philosophy that, well, God is a loving, forgiving God. He understands that I'm, I will fall from time to time, so it's okay to do what I want to do whenever I feel like it, because I can just go back and ask for forgiveness. Let me tell you something. That's not an all-in representative. We don't get to choose to do what we want to do when we want to do it, because it's already been outlined in Scripture how we are to live. And for me, that's an all-in representative. Is that easy? No. It's one of the hardest things for us to do. Why? Because I have a sin nature that battles against the spirit that lives within me. It's very apparent in Scripture. Paul talks about it all the time. But my responsibility 
that there is great power in that responsibility is to continually submit and to be sanctified, which is a big churchy word for meaning getting rid of the junk and becoming holy, more like Christ to where I can be an all-in representative. When we talk about the word image, the definition is it's a representation or likeness of a real or imaginary person. You can take that part out because we're talking about a real person, a creature or an object. We're talking about a real person, God, Christ. It's a representative, the embodiment. It doesn't mean that I am God, that I am Christ, that I am the Holy Spirit. It just means that the way that I should be living embodies the essence of who we find Christ to be. That's what that means. So when we say you are made in the image of Christ, it doesn't mean that you are to be the perfect image of him. It just means you should embody all that he is. And so when we look at what we want to talk about today, the main thought that I want you to think about all the way through here is we, you, are representatives. You are a representative. If you claim the name of Christ, if you believe wholeheartedly that he lives within you through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you are a follower of God, a Christian, then you are a representative of him. And you should embody all that that means. And in nowhere in scripture does it tell us that we get to pick and choose what that looks like or how we are going to represent him. That will actually be next week's sermon. So let's get into the passage. Let's go back to Matthew 15, excuse me, 22 verses 15 through 22. Now again, Seth did a great job of setting this up, helping us understand what's happening here. Remember the Herodians are those that follow Herod and they're trying to trip Jesus up in a very, to me, antagonistical way. But it says that the Pharisees went and um, plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples, the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Again, Seth reminded us, it seems like they're being kind and complimentary. And really what they're doing is, it's kind of snarky comments. They say, tell us therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? When Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Now again, Seth taught us. Hypocrites is talking about doing something opposite of what you really are. They are coming to him seemingly looking for spiritual guidance, for wisdom, but he knows their heart and he says, man, you guys are good. You're sneaky. You're hypocrites. You don't really care about the taxes. That's not really why you're here. And he says, show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he says to them, huge question here. And I'll, I'll explain in a little bit why it is. Who, whose image and inscription is this? They say to him, Caesar's. And he says to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now for us, when we look at that, Seth did a great job of helping us understand what that meant. But it's deeper than what we see. It is so much deeper. When you go back and start looking at this, it begins to unpack in such a way that leads you on this massive journey. 
And it's been a journey that I've been on all week trying to figure all this out, how to communicate it in such a way that I don't lose you because it's that deep. I got lost many times. Had to dig my way back up to where I really wanted to be. Because when they heard it, when they had heard these words, they marveled. And let him, or left him and went their way. They marveled at a simple response. They asked a question. Do we pay the taxes? He says, well, give to Caesar what is his. Answering their question without really answering it, without saying yes or no. But then he comes back with a tag. And he says, give to God what is God's. Now that's intriguing to me. And it hit me different than it ever has. Because what is God's? What are we to give to God? Well, in this instance, we're, we're thinking about and talking about tax money. So naturally, we would think, well, he's talking about the tithe. He's talking about the temple tax. The, the, the thing that we should do as believers is to give the tithe. And when I talked to Seth, I'd actually said, hey, look, I, I want to use this as a springboard into tithing sermons. Well, God changed that real quick. He's like, that's not what I'm looking for. I got something else for you. So let's dig in to see what that looks like. Again, we see the very first question and the answer that Jesus gives without giving a yes. He says, render therefore to Caesar what is Caesar's. If Caesar's inscription is on this quarter or on the the denarius, then give it to him. When we get a quarter out, we got Washington's face on it. We don't go dig Washington up to hand it to him, but we pay it to the representative of what he represented, to the government. It's the inscription. It's what it represents. It's not that it's truly George Washington's money. It's the representation of what it looks like and where it goes to. Which is why he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to the government what the representation that it holds. But then he said a little something different. He answers the question, but then he really gets to the heart of the matter. He has already called them hypocrites because they came with a question that really wasn't about the question. And he gets to the heart of the matter by giving that little tag of, give to God the things that are God's. Now these men are not dumb. These are very learned men. They're very highly educated in the the Pentateuch and, and all of the ancient writings. They know what it meant when he said, give to God what is God's. But how do we know that? Well, there's a little thing that he had already kind of asked. And we have to think about, is he referring to money at this point? Is he really talking about money? And sure, a, a little bit. He really is a little bit talking about money. Because With God, it's all his. Every dime that you earn, it really is already God's. He gave you the ability. He blessed you with a job. He's given you the energy and the gumption and the strength to go and do the job that you absolutely hate. And our response as believers is to graciously and willingly with a loving, um, appreciative heart to say, thank you for what you have done. Here's my portion back to you. Now, for many of us, that's foreign. Many of you have been burnt by churches before in their egregious way that they've spent money. That's on them. You let God hold them accountable, but you be responsible for what God has called you to do, and that is to tithe. 
I'll just leave that there and we'll hit tithing later on. But he's answering his own question. Did you know that? Here's his question. He said to them, whose image and inscription is this? Now he was talking about the denarius. But what Jesus is answering is he's questioning these men for their knowledge and their understanding of what has already been set in motion. Everybody confused? Good. Because that's exactly what happened to these men. Jesus was asked, who's in scripture? He he said, um, he was asked, should we pay the taxes? And he says, bring me a denarius. Whose image is on this? And then he answers, well, whoever's image is this, give that to them. But give to God what is God's. Let me ask you a question. Whose image are you made in? He hit the heart of the matter. Because in their deepest, darkest spots of their heart, they were about themselves. And Jesus hits them because he calls them hypocrites. Because they were concerned about the thing that they shouldn't be concerned about. And not concerned about the thing that they should be. He said, here's really what's important. Whose image are you made in? And if you were made in God's image, then maybe you should give back to God what is really his. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, and all the way back to the beginning is where we find this. God said, let us make man in our image. Now, when we see man here, that is talking about humankind, not just man. It's man, men and women. He says, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Two different words there. Now, and when I tell you that you could get off on some rabbit trails here, I could really go deep and just lose all of us and get lost in this stuff. It is that profound. But the idea is the internal workings of who we are is in the image of God and the external part of what we do and how we represent is the likeness of them. That's the long and short of it. Does that make sense? So we've got the internal, the spiritual side of things, and the external, the things that we do that are made in the likeness of God. Now, does that mean that I really do look like God, that if we were to go to heaven right now, that God would look like me? No, God is ethereal. He's a spirit. He's just a being. He's not going to look like me. But when God came to earth, he came in human form to help us understand what it looks like to live out the image and likeness of God. That's what that looks like. Everybody on the same page now. So those that were lost are now found. Hallelujah. Praise God. He says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Again, if we are made in his likeness, it is believed by a lot of deeper theologians than I that that is a representation, again, of how God is over everything, controls everything, and is on top of everything. So we are on this earth to subdue all things because we're made in his likeness and image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That is a big statement. If you've never underlined that last little part in your Bible, you probably should because you were probably going to need that later on in life. Just saying. So when Jesus looks at these guys and he says, hey, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's, he is not referring to just the money. He is referring to the very lives that they were living. 
He's trying to put the points together of these men knew this statement, that they were created in the image and in the likeness of God. And when he says, whose image is this? He's putting their brain into motion to be thinking about, okay, we're talking about Caesar. We're talking about his inscription. He's in his image. But now he's saying, give to God's what is God's. So what is he referring to here if we're talking about the image and inscription and giving to God what is God's? Oh, he's talking about me. Meaning how I live, how I think, how I speak, where I go, what I do must be a representative of If I'm honest, which I generally am, that's hard. That causes all of the things that I did yesterday to come flooding my mind. Thinking, oh boy, you you got some work to do. It causes everything that I'm facing this week to come into play to say, okay, how will I handle this? How should I do this? Everything. Even from going home and being in my own little home where you guys are not at, that I could act any way that I wanted to act. It causes me to consider, how am I going to lovingly come alongside my wife and support her and encourage her? How am I going to build up and edify my children to be all that they can be? How am I, in in this space, going to live a life worthy of Christ and represent him well that might encourage them as we go about our lives? Most of us think that when we get home, it's free game. Honestly. I am home, I have free reign, this is my place, I can do what I want to do. Whoa, that's what the Herodians thought. And Jesus said, no, give to God what is God's. There's so many more verses with this. But we are created in the image of God to reflect his glory. You see, so many times I think we as believers get this uh, highfalutin notion that we are saved because now God can use us so we can do cool things. Because it's all about the blessings. I want all the blessings. And blessings are great and they are important and they are needful. But that is not why I became a believer. I became a believer because I realized my sin was going to send me to hell. And that's not very inviting to me. But then I figured out and understood that there was a savior, a creator, one who loved me and created me in his image and wanted to do neat things in me, through me and around me if I would just willingly submit all that I have. And I said, that's a pretty good deal. I'm in. And let me tell you about the road he's taken me on. There's been a lot of whoopings. There's been a lot of growth. There have been a lot of stumblings, but a ton of gain all the way through it. Because I have realized that I am no longer me. I represent him. Because I am made in his image, therefore, I am to give to him what is his. That's me. And that's you. So there's a couple of Hebrew words and Greek words I want to to throw at you really quick just so you can see what they look like in the Old Testament. So when we talk about image in Genesis chapter 1, it's an actual plastic work, a duplicate, a diminished semblance when compared to the original. So the idea is 
when we see a statue of someone, it's a diminished semblance of the real thing. They don't have a heart, they don't have a soul, it's just stone or wood, but it resembles the person. It's a cheaper version of the original, for lack of a better term. That's what image means in the Old Testament. And there's a couple other places that it's used in the Old Testament. When we look at likeness, it's the tangible or visible reproduction, a physical likeness. So again, it's talking about the internal stuff. It's kind of like this. When you look at a mirror and you see your reflection, is that reflection real? Does it have a heartbeat? Does it have a soul? Does it have a mind of its own? No, it's just a representation of who you are. So we are to reflect Christ. We are to reflect God. You're not God, but we are to reflect his attributes. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is how we are to live. Because we're made in his image. We can't do it perfectly because, again, we're not God. But we can resemble it very, very well. The best that we can. But then the outer part, we have to act on it. I can't claim one thing and do something else. You know what that's called? Hypocrite. And sadly, the churches are full of them. I can even be one sometimes. So we've got the internal and the external. That's all a part of the image of God. And then in the New Testament, notice that word is called icon. Now, I started thinking about this because it's the tangible or visible reproduction of physical likeness. I started thinking about icons on a phone. When I touch that icon, it's just a picture to represent what is really behind it. And what's behind it is loaded. When I hit the safari, which for some of you that just means I can go on the web, which just means I can do a lot of research really quick. When I hit that little world button... It is a representation of the world that exists behind it that is at my fingertips to find all the information I want to find. Let me tell you something. You are an icon of God. You are a physical representation of who he is. Meaning, when people see you, they should see something way past you. When they interact with you, they should experience something more than who you are. They should experience a representation of the fullness of the Spirit of God. That is what Tim has been talking about in his last two sermons, about the power and that responsibility of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. That's what all this is about. You are made in the image of God and you are a representative of him to where when people interact with you, they should be able to experience the fullness of who he is. That's our job. That's our responsibility. That is the gift that God has given us. What a great gift. We're representatives of our creator. But not just our creator, but Father God. But not just Father God, but the Savior, Jesus. But not just that, but the Lord of the Holy Spirit. He is the ruler of our life. And all those guys right there, they're all one. Just so you know, they're all the same. Even though we talk about them separately. That's a whole other sermon series for a whole other time. Watch these verses. Because it's really hard for us when we become a believer to understand what that really looks like. But I want you to notice these couple of passages here. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, 
with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Meaning, when we look into Scripture, we see who He is, and we are to reflect that out here. Why? For His glory. But many of us like to do this. We like to rip out a page and say, I really don't like that one. Let's go to the next one. Or maybe it's like government documents that's just been didacted, right? Or redacted or whatever it is. Blacked out. Because we don't want to read it. We don't want it to be a part of our life. But guess what? You're still responsible for it whether you read it or not. Because we are to be changing, ever-changing. Notice this one. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus... That you put off. What does that mean? Take it off. Stop it. Don't do it anymore. Set it aside. Leave it over there. That you put off concerning your former conduct. So many people hinder themselves from coming to Christ because they don't want to stop doing what they're doing. Pastor Allen, you don't understand. It's part of who I am. No, I understand that because there are a lot of things of who I was that I realized real quick that it was not a part of who Christ is. And I had to stop. But you don't understand. It's fun. It's legal. Nobody cares. It's not hurting anybody else. Fine. That might be true. You might be legal age to get smashed or to get high. Actually, not yet. However, Paul is very clear when he says there's a lot of things that are lawful for me to do, but not expedient, meaning not good for me. There's a lot of things I could go do. But one, I know it's not good for me mentally, emotionally, and physically. And number two, it's not good for my household. I enjoy sleeping in my bed with my wife. And so we need to be putting off a lot of things. There's many of us as Christians that are still carrying and doing things that are a part of our old life. I'll amen that one for you. And we've got to stop. You're missing out on so much. And honestly, you are not representing Christ well. Aren't you glad I came back? <laughs> but watch what it says. Put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt. It's not going to get any better according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed, changed, different in the spirit of your mind. It means it starts here. It's a heart change, but that heart is the seat of our emotions, our mind, our will, and our soul, and our emotions. And it starts in our mind, the changing of it, the renewing of it, because all the battles are here. Amen? The biggest conversations that I have are not with you. They are within my two ears. The biggest battles that I face are not with you or my wife. They're right here. And Paul is suggesting strongly, change it. Renew it. Make it better. Make it new. Get rid of the old. And do something different. That you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That is the image of what we are to represent. Righteousness and holiness. The next passage, Colossians chapter 3. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. 
Again, this change that we claim has happened within us means we must stop doing what we were doing. I know that is not popular. I know that's not cool. It's probably very outdated and just not happy for a lot of us. But the truth of the matter is we are not receiving the blessings of God and experiencing the Holy Spirit the way that we should because we are not being the new man. We're not putting off the old stuff. We're trying to bring that along in hopes that God will change his mind. Newsflash, that doesn't happen hardly ever. It says, and put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Now watch this. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Let me just say this right here, right now, and let's clear the air. When Paul talks about this, he says when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. It doesn't matter your culture, your ethnic background, your financial status, or the things that you own. If you are in Christ, you are the image of Christ and who you were exists no longer. We're going to hear a lot of stuff outside these doors and these walls. But I'm telling you, when Paul speaks of what God gave him to say, it's not about who you were. It's about who you are in Christ moving forward. So here's my really big question for you that's going to springboard us into next week. If we are created in the image of God, which I feel like you guys are on the same page and you understand that now. What are people seeing? Are they seeing your version of Christ? Of how you want to express your Christianity? Of how you are choosing to be the new man? Or are you going with his? That's a really big question. I really want you to sit on that all week. Because next week we're going to come back and we're going to dive into John chapter 15 and we're going to look at the, the grapevine again and the, the us being grafted in and what that looks like and what that means. Because we as believers, if we are truly following Christ, we should be new creations putting off the old portion of who we are, not holding on to all of the things that we are told we should hold on to. But Paul says, we are a new creation. We are the image of God. That is what we represent moving forward. And so my question for all of us and for myself, what version of Christianity are people seeing? My version or his? And I ask that because We're all representatives if we're following him. Every last one of us. We have a responsibility in keeping true to the word of God and showing the world that needs so desperately a savior. Of showing them what does this look like. But we are the representatives. And we have a grand opportunity to show them what it looks like as the praise team comes. Here's two questions I want you to sit on this morning. Number one, if we are to reflect the image we were created in, please ask yourself honestly, what are people seeing? It is a very sobering, hard question to ask, 
It's not a fun question to answer. Because we have the hardest time being honest with ourselves. So maybe, maybe you should get alone with a friend this week. One that you really trust to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And ask them, hey, you know that I'm a believer. Is there anything that I'm doing that does not reflect him well? Now, many of you are cringing as I just suggested that because you're like, oh my word, I don't want to do that. Why not? Do we not want to be more like him? Do we not want to be really the image of who he is? And the only way that I can do that is to have somebody that honestly that loves me to tell me, you're stinking it up right here. But we live in such a society that we can't be that negative, that we can't be that honest with people. Shame on us. I want to be more like Christ. So if you ever, I'm giving you permission, if you ever see anything that I am doing or saying or acting, whatever it might be, that is not reflective of Christ, you have my permission to lovingly pull me aside, not in front of everybody, and say, hey, I noticed this. Can you help me understand what's going on? You have my permission. And I'll just take it upon myself to give myself permission to do that with you. And you know why I want to do that? Because I want it so bad for you, man. It's the reason Tim gets so passionate up here because he wants it so stinking bad for each and every one of you. We want you to experience the power of the Holy Spirit more than we could ever express to you. But it takes you being honest with yourself and allowing God to be honest with you and maybe someone else being honest with you to be willing to work on the things that we need to work on. What are people really seeing? Here's the second question. What are you holding on to that is hindering you from embracing the true reflection of our creator? That's a big one. That one, nobody else can help you but God. That's why we have these stairs up here that we call our altar at the end of the service to where you can come and say, God, what am I holding on to that's hindering me from truly being reflective of you today? And you know what's great about that type of question when you ask him that? He might, most likely, probably will answer you. The problem with that is, will you hear it? (laughs) That's not even the problem, because you probably will hear it. The real question is, what are you going to do about it? That's where I get stuck. Because, man, I hear a lot of things from him, and I'm like, oh, not that. I like that. That's in a comfortable spot. I know right where that's at, and I know how to manipulate that and work that. God, let's not talk about that. It might be what he wants to talk about today. What are you holding on to? It could be a litany of different things. But the only way you're going to know is you got to ask. And James tells us that when we ask for wisdom, God is very liberal. He's very gracious. He's very open in the way that he gives it to help us understand what we need to be doing. Let me pray for you this morning. God, I love you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we really are created in your image, God, that we can have a mind of our own and reason together and that we are relational and that we can talk through things and figure things out and understand things. And thank you for being the giver of wisdom and the giver of the the great attributes of the Holy Spirit that we want to be a part of our lives. But God, it starts with us submitting to you and then letting go of all the stuff that is hindering us from experiencing you to the fullest. Father, I love you so much. And I thank you for what you've done this morning and the hearts that you are running through. But I pray that you would be gentle 
and kind and faithful in the way that you deal with each and every one of us as you reveal to us those things that are truly keeping us from experiencing you to the fullest and keeping us from representing you well. Help us to be good representatives of you this week. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name.